all comes down. There will be no quarter. If you throw down your arms, your families will die. We can break this army here. So I say let them come. Let them come! Come on! What's going on, fellow Ape Army members? This is your boy, I'm Chase. I'm the CEO of Act Protect Engage, and this is a scene from one of my favorite movies, historically accurate movies of all time, Kingdom of Heaven, starring Orlando Bloom. Now, what this movie shows is it shows really the, the complexity, right, of the Crusades, the different sides, the different parties involved in this bloody time period. And it kind of shows the conflict within each uh, religion as far as what, of our, what are our uh, morality? What is our morality? What do we stand for? You know, um, it's, it's a very, very uh, powerful movie. And um, as a historian, I really, really, really appreciate like the accuracy of the battles and the accuracy of the um, dialogue. Thank you for joining me today. Today's episode is sponsored by Bravo Concealment Holsters. Please use code APE10, A-P-E-10 at checkout to get 10% off. Bravo Concealment offers the best tactical holsters inside the waistband, outside the waistband, holsters on the market they also have tactical belts and other cool products check them out bravoconcealment.com also the uscca the united states concealed carry association the number one second amendment concealed carry advocate organization in the country today the nra is old news y'all old news man those are the old goats join the uscca today all right, DM me, message me for more details. Thank you, thank you for joining us at the Ape Academy podcast. Today, we are discussing the Knights Templar. All right, episode 13 is entitled God's Warriors, the Knights Templar and the First Crusade, part one. I hope you guys enjoy. Ape. Dumbo, my boy from Philly, up and coming producer, Mr. Organic Dope, childhood friend. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the beats, man. Custom beats made specifically for the AP Academy podcast. All right, fade out. There it is. <laughs> What's up, y'all? It's uh, it's hump day, middle of the week. I hope everybody is having a very, very blessed week so far. I hope everyone is enjoying 
um, their week and being positive. All right. And I just want to tell you guys that I'm thinking about you. Think about y'all. I'm praying for you guys. And I hope that you guys have a great rest of the week. Okay. Um, so what are we talking about today? Well, today we're discussing a pretty controversial group in history. Uh, there's a lot of mystery around it, a lot of mysticism, a lot of mystery, a lot of intrigue, um, a lot of secrets, right, around the uh, the Templars, okay? And, you know, it's, it's a really, really interesting history, and it's not something I knew a whole lot about before I researched. I mean, I'm a historian. You know, I study history in college. I love history. I've been studying history since I was a kid. And I knew of the Crusades. I knew of the Templars. But I didn't really know a whole lot about, like, what made them so significant. And it's when you dig into it, okay, it's really amazing. Like, they were the first really multinational corporation, an organization that stretched through the European continent. Now, we're not talking about what people say, well, Chase, there are a lot of other cultures that had... Yes, but this was one order that had properties, locations in separate countries, all connected with one within one kind of banking system that was unheard of at the day okay in that time period and um you know maybe i'll catch some some uh, blowback from the uh, snowflakes out there the uh the woke left out there but hey man the templars love them or hate them they were amazing warriors they were fearless and they were uh some of the most you know dedicated brave and self-sacrificing folks of the day, okay? So today we're going to talk about God's Holy Warriors, the Knights Templar, and the First Crusades, part uno, part one for all my Spanish speakers, okay? this this By the way, this podcast is not offered in Spanish. Sorry, guys. I'm not quite there yet, but maybe eventually I will. I know someone, um, one of my, one of my, fellow ape army members was asking if i had anything in spanish and uh, i'm working on it you know i live in houston so i have a lot of uh spanish buddies but i haven't quite gotten around to learning it like i should anywho rant over all right so what are we talking about man so i think you know now i, I think i could go straight into like well the nice templar they were armed with a broadsword and a shield and blah, 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 blah. Like, like, listen, I'm going to set the stage, okay? I'm a historian. I don't do, like, I don't do this, guys. I don't do this podcast for likes. I don't do it for views. I don't do it, I don't do it hoping that, like, Meek Mill will, like, will, like, see my podcast or see my page. I don't care about that, okay? I'm a historian. I'm an academic. Um, I love what I do, and I do it, you know, for fun and to educate some folks about things maybe we're not exposed to a lot these days. Only thing we see nowadays is World Star, you know, and love and hip hop and TikTok dances and all that stuff is cool and it has its place. But I think it's important to um, kind of go back to our roots and our history. Uh, and people say, well, European history is my history. I'm like, well, first of all, the Western world, the history of the Western world is our history. If you live in America, you need to learn not just about Africa and India and the Muslim world. You need to learn about the entire world, the Western world. Set the stage. 
All right. I don't care what anyone says. It had a big, big influence in how we practice our religion today, our currency, even the languages we speak. So we need to be open minded and listen to things maybe that we're not used to. Okay, guys, I am off my soapbox. I promise I will not get back on it. Okay, I think I'm getting pretty pretty good at this podcast thing. I don't know. You guys let me know. Hey, don't forget, speaking of that, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, please, let's get these numbers back up. They dipped a little bit. Um, but, you know, podcasts, people, people are iffy with podcasts. I just hope that I'm providing some educational content and some, um, enter, enter, you know, content that's entertaining for you guys, not just a boring womp womp charlie brown type podcast i'm not gonna lie a lot of podcasts i listen to are like that but not this one i promise all right all right all right historical context okay so let's set the stage for these templars right so all this stuff occurred around the turn of the the first century um and jesus had has not been crucified for very long Right, so this is in the days of the uh, pretty early church, um, turn of the first century, and most of this story um, takes place in Europe, right? Medieval Europe and also the Near East. So, Chase, you know, what is the Near East? I've heard about it. I'm not sure what it is. Okay, so pretty much the modern day Middle East, Israel, the modern day Israel. Okay, um, we're talking Jerusalem. Uh, we're talking the Holy Lands, the traditional Holy Lands in both, actually in all three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. All right, so all three Abrahamic religions, their their founding and their roots, their core of their beliefs began in the same area. Can you believe that? You wouldn't know that maybe now if you look around now and all the different you know sects of Christianity and all the different sects of uh, Islam and, you know, kind of the conflict between Islam and the West. And then, then the, uh, the Jews are mixed in there, too, fighting with the Muslims. But if you trace the roots of all three of these religions back to the source, it all comes from the same freaking place. <laughs> We're a lot more alike than we give ourselves credit for. A lot more alike. And as a historian... As someone who studied uh, religion, religious studies major and a history major, you see that. That's why I was so fascinated with, with religious studies in college, because it's like all the best subjects combined in one. You know, anthropology, sociology, history, religion, economics, it, they're all mixed up together, okay? So let's set the stage. It's in the Near East and the Middle East, and um, it's not as simple to say, okay, well, the Knights, Temp- the, the Templar Knights, they were just kind of a bunch of guys who just got together and were just like, all right, dude, let's hang out and drink some wine and, and battle some Muslims. Like, no, that's not how it worked out. It's not that simple. Okay, so the order was formed during a... T- oh, and before I, b- before I go any further, I want to cite my sources. Okay, so my source is a book entitled The Knights Templar, The Hidden History of the Knights Templar by Conrad Bauer, okay? Great book. It's short. It's a good read. It generalizes a lot of stuff. It doesn't go into mind-numbingly boring detail like a lot of uh, history books do. You know, because if you're, like, being a history major 
and going to a, a major academic university, you'll see that a lot of these professors, um, a lot of these history books are actually works done by professors who are current, you know, active professors at big institutions, and they have to produce academic works, right? That's part of their, their, their tenure, right? They had to do research, and they had to produce these academic works. So a lot of their books, the history books that are out on the market, are done by these professors, and they can be kind of dry because they're written for their they're written for their contemporaries, they're written for their peers, right? Other historians, other academics. They're not written for like me, for like Joe the plumber, for like you know the the, uh, the nurse that works the night shift. Like it's not it's not written for us. So they can be dry. But this book by Conrad Bauer is really light. It's easy to read. It moves quickly, and it doesn't get into too much. It gets into just enough detail where, where, where you understand the history and you're like, oh, you can see it in your head and you're kind of living it, but it's not too much where you're like, yo, I don't even know what they're talking about anymore. King Sarah's nephew, uncle, and Prince Henry were was married to Queen Elizabeth. It's like, what is going on? So, no, it, this is a perfect, I, I suggest it. I highly suggest it, okay? I'm ranting. This might be a longer podcast, by the way, sorry. All right, so the order was founded at a time of extreme violence, conflict, and religious turmoil, and political divisions both in Europe and in the Holy Land. So the Holy Land was, first of all, the Holy Land, a.k.a. the Middle East, Jerusalem, Israel, has been fought over for thousands of years. And in this time, this is like really like one of the bloodiest times in human history when it comes to religious conflict and all three religions were battling each other and it was just, it was chaos. All right. Um, so the, all three, like I said before, like I just said, all three major Abrahamic religions were formed in the Middle East, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And they all share very similar principles, historical figures, and even religious texts. Like <laughs> a lot of them quote each other. Like for example, uh, Islam believes that Ju that Jesus was a was a prophet. They don't believe that he died for our sins and he's the one Messiah, but they do believe that he was a, a learned man, a, a rabbi, and a prophet. So they cite Jesus in the Quran, right? But you know the, the same thing. You know the, the same type of thing that made all three religions very similar, right? Since they were all founded in the same area. They, have, they, they share historical figures. You know, the Christian Bible, half of it's the Torah. The Old Testament is the Jewish Torah, all right? Um, so part of the Jewish Torah, not the only thing. But um, all three share similar roots, but that, that same thing that makes them similar also drives them apart, right? Because they're, they're, they're formed in this cauldron, in this tiny area. It's dry, it's hot, it's dangerous, there's a lot of different type of cultures in there, and they, none of them like each other. So it's, it's a form that is in, in this, this boiling pot of, of tension and turmoil. Um, and it made the conflict much, much worse, right? Um, to us, to Westerners, right, we see this through, you know, through popular culture as the Crusades. Like, this is people know what the Crusades are. But I don't really think they understand like how impactful the Crusades the Crusades were in forming the history of that region, and it really stretched not just in the Middle East, also stretched out to Europe and eventually the New World, right? But we're we're not even close to there yet, the New World. But 
the old world, meaning the Near East and Europe, had a huge impact on religion, culture, economics, um, uh, politics, the formation of empires, the, the destruction of empires. All right, so we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, all right, so what were the Crusades? Okay. Now, you know, there are a lot of people on the Internet, a lot of, uh, I call them pseudo-intellectuals, Internet intellectuals, right? They uh, clicked on a few links on Wikipedia and some quacks website, and they think, oh, well, the, the white man, he's really deal, and he, he, they put us down to suppress our mind, brother, our mind. Listen, we need to understand the history, all right? And the crusade wasn't as simple as just a bunch of an army of white men going and, and killing every, all the Muslims. It wasn't that simple, all right? Um, the problem was that all like like I said before, like I just said, all three religions have similar roots in the same area, and the power brokers in the area change constantly. So, in the time of the first Crusades, the Muslims were controlling the Holy Land. However, Christians, people who are really, really dedicated to Christianity, and remember, this is probably the most fervent time of Christianity. This is probably when Christians were their most extreme because this is when Christianity had just formed. It's not that old. So all the beliefs are fresh. They're new. People are very, very passionate and, and, and convinced that they're, that they're right in what they believe. Okay, and it's a very you know inflammatory time, and um, the Roman remember the Roman Empire was holding Europe together, and it had hasn't been been over for that long. All right, so the Crusades were a series of military campaigns waged in the Near East and divinely sanctioned by the Catholic Church. So remember, the, there was no uh, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans. Episcopalians, non-denominational, no. Christianity was only the Catholic Church. That's it. The Church of England hasn't even formed yet. The Anglican Church comes much later. Right now, there's the one sole authority for Christianity is the Catholic Church, and that's it. So all Christians back then were Catholics. That's just how it was. There was, there was two churches, one in Rome and one in Constantinople, West versus East, both were Christians. They had very, very um, different cultures, but they had shared kind of the same beliefs. All right. The problem was Islam and Muslim rulers controlled most of the region, right? So most of the the holy sites in Christianity, you know, Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem, the Temple of Solomon, was controlled was in in uh, Islamic hands. Okay. So Christian pilgrims, when they tried to travel to these holy sites, you know, they, they couldn't get there safely. They, they just could not find safe passage. It was really, really hard to get there safely if you were a Christian pilgrim. You know, because it's like you're really trying to travel there to visit the Holy Land, to, you know, um, confess your sins, to purify yourself, maybe to start over, right? Maybe you had a tough time in, in medieval Europe and you're like, you know what? I feel like in my heart I need to um, travel to the Holy Land to confess my sins and to start a new life. And you're trying to go there and, and pledge yourself back to God and 
do all your religious stuff, but you can't get there safely because every time you try to go, you get driven back, you get you get robbed, you get your life gets threatened. And this was a big, big problem for the church back then. And there's a lot of other political things that went into that, but it was a big, big problem. And at the same time, so you got Islam is in control of the area. You got Christian pilgrims getting harassed, robbed, sometimes murdered um, in route to the holy sites, right? At the same time, Christianity is facing a major division within itself, right? Like I said before, there are two churches. The collapse of the Roman Empire had led to a deep division between the Western Church, which was based at the Vatican in Rome, right? Current, like the modern-day Vatican. That's where the old, the, the Vatican has not moved. Still in Rome. And the Eastern counterpart in Constantinople, which is now modern-day Istanbul, Turkey, okay? Istanbul is the capital of modern-day Turkey. But back then, it was the Eastern capital of Christianity. So you had the Vatican in Rome, controlled by the Pope, and then in the East, you had Constantinople, which was controlled by their own ruler, Alexios I, which we'll go into um, in a minute. Okay. The Pope at the time was Pope Urban II. So we have to remember, okay, so I'm not going to go into too much into Catholic history, right? But for the uh, purposes of this podcast, when I say Pope, Pope Urban, uh, Urban II, just think he was like it back then. He was the most powerful man in the world. What he said went. So the Pope was infallible, which means that everything Christians, early Christians believed that what the Pope said went. He was basically God's representative on earth. So that means when the Pope uttered something, it happened. So if you, if you had the Pope's support, you were like one of the most powerful people in the world. All right, I just want, it's not what the Pope is today, right? That's not, I do not want you to compare Pope Francis to Pope Urban II because Pope Urban II is more powerful than the President of the United States was, okay? Does that make sense? He was it. So the Catholic Church was very rich. It was very powerful. It had the ear of pretty much every monarch in Europe, so it could really, really uh, influence things and sway things and make things hard for you if it was against you. It could really make life difficult. So you want to be on the side of the Pope. All right. So Pope Urban II, he, he saw the first campaign, the first crusades as a chance to protect Christians in the Holy Land and at the same time as a chance to reunite the two branches of the church, right, the East and the West, back under one umbrella, pretty much back under his control. He wanted to control. <laughs> he wanted to control uh, the Christian church again. He didn't like the fact that it was split in two, right? That really was annoying to him, the Pope Urban. So it was like, man, look, I have to figure out a way to get our two wings, right, our two wings of the church, East and West, back together. What's the best way to do this? Let's unite in a common goal and a common purpose for God's glory. Let's go fight somebody. We just got to figure out who. We got to have a good excuse. And that is coming. <laughs> I'm, about to sh I'm about to show you guys what excuse they had. Um, all right. So the first crusade. So we're talking 1095 AD, the turn of the first century. Okay. The first crusade began with a letter 
So back then, they didn't have emails, obviously. They didn't have text messages. They didn't have freaking pagers or pay phones. They had to write letters with, like, you know, like the the pens with, like, the uh, feathers on them. <laughs> like, you dip them in the ink and, like, dear sir. That's how they wrote back then, right? So they write a letter. So Alexos I was the Byzantine Empire, uh, Emperor, which was in Constantinople, the east, right? The eastern wing of the Roman Empire. Um, he wrote a letter to the Pope and he was in that letter. He was like, please, he was begging the Pope to help him. Like, we need help so badly that over here, it sucks. It sucks over here. We're really sucking. We're struggling. Right. And when he begged the Pope for help, he knew that the Pope had the power to call up an army to protect his citizens because he had citizens in the East that were attempting to make that long journey all the way from the East. Right. Modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece, that area, all the way to the Holy Land, okay? And he needed help. He needed an army. Now, um, the, in theory, right, so the Muslim rulers of that area were supposed to be letting it, like, on its face, right? So you know how sometimes there's, like, there's rules that are on paper, right, that are for everyone to see, but everyone knows they're not really obeying them? You know what I mean? Like wink, wink, nah, nah type thing. Like, yeah, we're supposed to be doing this, but no one does. <laughs> I don't want to compare it to this, but I'm going to anyway. You know how uh, when technically your office is open at 9, but everyone kind of knows you can come in at 930 and no one cares, right? You know, there's different rules that are out there. So the Muslim rulers, nah, nah, wink, wink. Yeah, of course, you know, every our, our land is open to everybody. Anyone can come through. You have no worries. We promise we will not harass you guys. You guys can travel on any road you want. I mean, that doesn't mean we're going to protect you. And let's just say that something happened to happen, an accident happened, and you got robbed, killed, and beat up, or beat up. You know, I mean, we tried, right? We told you. Um, Yeah, so in theory, they were allowed, they allowed pilgrims to pass through their lands unmolested. However, on the ground, this almost never happened. Christians were getting really really roughed up um and these were all alleged crimes right so in real life it was probably really really exaggerated but there were things that were going on okay so the alleged crimes that were committed by these muslim rulers in the holy land were violent vicious and offensive to the tender christian sensibilities how dare these muslims Harass us. We're just trying to get to our to our holy sites. It doesn't matter that we're walking over their land and going through their, you know, eating up all their food and making a mess and pooping everywhere. But man, they just they need to leave us alone, right? Um, there were widespread claims that the Turks, who controlled that area, had been ravaging churches belonging to the local Christians, and that they had captured the city of Christ, known as Jerusalem. And had committed blasphemy by selling the Christian institutions into slavery. So there were all these stories, you know. And, you know, we have to understand the Pope is a long way away. He's super far away. And really the only thing he's getting, the only news he's getting from letters, from official, you know, dispatches, messages, and from uh, people who come and visit him and tell him about this. Most of his hearsay, most of it's from third parties. Um, but, yeah, people were saying that, hey, the, the Muslims have taken over Jerusalem. And what they're doing is they're selling Christians into slavery. That they're, they're, you know, they're they're looting the churches, they're taking all the valuable stuff out of the churches, and they're selling them. And they have the nerve to freaking take us and sell us into slavery also, and that's bullcrap. And we can't allow that. 
Um, they were also accused, Muslim rulers were accused of harassing, bullying, and even committing acts of violence against these Christians who simply wished to travel to the land of their savior. That's all they wanted to do was just travel, but they're getting beat up, they're getting bullied, they're getting harassed, and even like beat, even killed in the hundreds sometimes. Okay, but like most uh, uh, proclamations for war, calls for war, call, calls for violence, most of the things were, were likely exaggerated. Um, and, you know, one of the real reasons that Alexios wrote this letter detailing all these offenses, um, the letter he wrote to Pope Urban II, really, there's, there's more than just, oh, I just want to protect the poor uh, pilgrims. Honestly, he did care about the pilgrims, but I mean, that was like low on the list. What he really wanted like, was help ruling his domain because he was really losing power. He didn't want to give up power, but he definitely needed something to help strengthen his position. Okay, because the Eastern Empire was really, really weak at the time. I mean, the Turks were, were kicking their butts all over the place. They had massive inflation. They, they were poor. Their, their economy was in the toilets. Like it, like Afghanistan type bad, like in the toilets, because they even had to disband their army. They had a huge, this huge army left over from the, from when the um, uh, Roman Empire collapsed, and they had to disband it because they couldn't afford it. And he needed to really project power, right? Alexios had to pro had to project himself as powerful because the Turks were on his butt. Like, plus his own people wanted his head, so he was like, man, I, if if Pope Urban in the Vatican can help me if he can like help raise a call to arms for and kind of unite the Christian world it will it will kind of keep the dogs uh at bay right it will kind of close that door and kind of insulate him a little bit just get by him some time so he can get his stuff together okay so Alexios was really worried um and so the official decision for the first crusade right the the official declaration of the crusade occurred at the Council of Clermont um, in 1095 and there was a lot of different accounts of that um, of that council a lot of different accounts some say that the Pope um, ordered it that it ordered that it was God's will that the Christians fight the Muslims and defend the Holy Land some people but most people agreed that he was more focused on on the conquest of the Holy Lands than providing assistance to the to you know the Byzantine Empire. He didn't really care about that. What he really wanted to do, what his secret goal was, to conquer the Holy Lands, and this would unite the two empires, East and West, under one banner, under his control. And he figured, hey, the first step to to uniting the Christian world is to conquer the Holy Lands, to get everyone on the same page. Right to get some everyone on the same page so we can kind of be united together. Okay, quick break. I am going on and on and on. I promise I wouldn't do that. Um, but we'll be back in a flash. Quick musical break. Ape. beats man that sounds real nice real real nice thank you mr organic dope 
We appreciate you, my brother. You the man, my brother. All right, smooth beats from my man, Mr. Organic Dope. We appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for providing the music for the podcast. You know, I always do this, these uh, musical interludes because I want to break up my really, really dry voice. Uh, I sound like it's like watching paint dry. Probably listening to my voice. I'm sorry, guys. I wish I could change it, but I can't. I'm so sorry. Anyway, uh, we're at 31 minutes now, so we're gonna be in probably another 15. It's gonna be a little bit longer because there's a lot that goes into this, man. Because like. I could, like I said earlier, I could just jump into it and just be like, the knights were armed with steel. But it's like, well, what were they? Like, they were just a bunch of guys running around with a cross on the, on their chest. Like, what did they actually do? I want to give you guys quality content. I promised myself I wouldn't cut corners. And I would give you guys quality content because I expect no less to be given to me when I listen to stuff, when I, when I you know, spend my time my money, my mental energy, giving it to a company, giving it to a podcast. I want it to be good quality stuff, and I will not accept anything but quality. You like that? That was a good speed, right? Anywho. All right, so let's get into the Templars, right? The formation of the Templars. In 1099, so I, I just fast-forwarded through, like, four years of warfare. <laughs> so in uh, Bernard... Uh, in the, uh, the Knights Templar in Conrad Bowers I said Bernard Conrad Bowers book he goes in a lot into pretty good detail about all the, the battles and stuff I just skipped over all that because there's a lot of stuff going on but we, we're skipping forward to uh, 1099 so when we left off the Pope had, at the uh, Council of Clermont in 1095 had just okayed the first crusade so he put the rubber Pope stamp on the crusade and it began in 1095 okay and it was led uh, on. It was launched on August fifteenth by Admir of Le Play. So I think he was French. Le Play. All right. So he was a French knight, and uh, he led the first crusade. He was the general in charge of the uh, Christian armies. Admir of Le Play. I'm gonna slaughter these names. I'm so sorry. I can't wait to get to the Aztec one. I'm going to destroy. <laughs> Every name, oh, oh my goodness, it's hard with my accent, and I like I, I I talk like I am eating like a like a freaking jar of peanut butter, so it's really hard to pronounce stuff. So I try to enunciate my words. Okay, so in 1099, after the capture of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, so the Christian army was very very successful in the first crusade, and let me set the stage for that. I mean, there's were widespread atrocities massacres of epic proportions the first crusaders were extremely bloodthirsty savage people like i'm not sure what the heck they thought like god wanted them to do this but the first crusaders were killed a lot of people and they created a lot of animosity within the local populace and um they did manage to win some major victories um against the uh the armies of uh, saladin and the uh, some of the Muslim generals, but they paid a hefty price in the, with their in their reputation and kind of sowing the seeds of future conflict. All right, so they did nothing to actually unite the region; they just made it worse. But they did manage to kind of seize control from the Muslims for for the time because it, it went back and forth like a 
You ever seen one of those ping pong matches, those Olympic ping pong matches? That's how the Crusades went back then. That's how the world was. Christian, Muslim, Christian, Muslim, back and forth. And the Jews were just kind of stuck in the middle like, oh, what do we do? Um, okay, so, so when the Christians finally controlled Jerusalem, pilgrims came in waves. It was even more common now to go to the Holy Land than it was before, right? So just imagine, like, remember during COVID when everything was shut down? So when the Muslim rulers controlled the Holy Land, just imagine it was like America with during the lockdown, right? You could still go to places. People were still going to the, to the store. They were going to the gas station and stuff like that with their masks on. But it wasn't very, there weren't a lot of people out doing stuff. And then think about when the restrictions were dropped and the mask mandates were dropped. Just think about how many people rushed to the club, rushed to the Walmarts, rushed to concerts. That's, just, that's how it was from when the difference between when the Muslims controlled the Holy Land and when the Christians controlled the Holy Land. All of a sudden, Christians who were like, eh, I need to go, you know, during COVID, I really need to go to the Walmart. I don't care, dude. I'm putting on my mask. I'm doing my, my six feet and I'm going to the damn store, okay? Christians during Muslim rule were like that. Like, I don't care. I'm going. I'm risking. I know I'm risking it, but I'm doing it. When that freaking mask mandate stopped and you could go anywhere, everyone went. So all the Christians were like rushing to the Holy Land. It came from all across Europe, all right? Because the first crusades were so successful, the Christians had, had succeeded in capturing a bunch of important cities, namely uh, Jerusalem. The problem was the land... The territory between those cities was wild territory that they did not control. So the Christians only, they did all that bloodshed, all that battle, just to control a few major cities, but they didn't control any of the countryside. So the countryside was wide the heck open. Um, in fact, the countryside, the territory, the land outside of the cities became even more hostile to the presence of Christians after multiple allegations of massacres and brutal violence against the Muslim populations. So the Crusaders were slaughtering the Muslims for no reason other than for them being Muslims. And this created a seed of hatred that has not left to this day. All right. That's how powerful this stuff is. And I've been telling you guys throughout this whole podcast, history, history, knowledge is power. When I, when I put the hashtag knowledge is power on my post on IG, I mean it. Like, if you can understand history, you can understand where we're at right now. That's what makes it so, so fascinating. Um, many people held a grudge against Christians due to the bloodlust of the early crusaders. Bandits and highwaymen were big threats to the pilgrims. There was nothing to prevent the locals from killing any Christians they came across. And sometimes pilgrims were even killed in the hundreds. Okay, so people were pissed. Like, yo, okay, you got your boys, you had your boys with you during the first crusades, but guess what? Your boys aren't here no more. So, and you still want to walk around like you got your boys with you, with, with the big swords and the horses? Not anymore. You're by yourself. We're going to get you. And that's what they did. Um, one of the initial goals of the first crusade was to protect the pilgrims, but they failed. They failed in doing so. It was a fake. You know what? It was a, re I'm not going to say it was fake. It, it wasn't a fake reason for the crusade. It was a reason to protect pilgrims. But it was a reason that was buried with like 10 other reasons that were more important, if that makes sense. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, 
they buried that reason and they kind of forgot about it. Uh, however, right by uh, 1119, something had to be done. It was just it was just too much. Like it was the Christians couldn't even go anywhere. Like they were being slaughtered at this point. And the, and people were starting to notice, like, okay, like, we let it go a little bit, but now it's like, all right, bro, like, we got to do something about this. And the Christian control of the cities, like Jerusalem, was solid enough to anoint a king. They had a king of Jerusalem, King Baldwin II, and then a patriarch named Wormund, Patriarch Wormund, to assist him. So the Christian Christians had pretty good control. They, had, they, they felt so confident in their control of Jerusalem that they, they made their own king. And you have to remember, Jerusalem was just in the hands of the Muslims a few, four years prior. And all of a sudden, the Christians take over and like, you know what? We got this. Let's make a king. We're anointing a king, King Baldwin II. And that's our new king. So this is setting the stage. Finally, we are finally at minute 41. <laughs> We're finally getting. I hope you guys haven't fallen asleep already. Wake up. You haven't fallen asleep, have you? Come on, wake up. Wake up, guys. <laughs> wake up. Okay, that, hopefully that corny sound effect helped help you uh, wake up. All right, so the idea of the Knights Templar was suggested by a French knight named Hughes de Pons. Hughes de Pons. Um, I pronounced that so wrong, but whatever. He proposed creating a dedicated monastic group of knights that would use their military abilities to protect Christians traveling from... Jaffa to the interior sites of the Holy Land. The Council of Nablus, or uh, the, I'm sorry, the Council of Nablus in 1120 approved the, form the formation of the Knights. So every time there was a major decision in the church, in the early church, right, they formed councils. And these councils were made of the Pope, obviously at the head, and a bunch of bishops and cardinals. Cardinals and bishops meaning they were really high-ranking members of the Catholic Church. Had a lot of influence locally, right, and with uh, whatever parish they were in or with whatever territory they are in, okay? So cardinals were very powerful. The popes were, cho were chosen from cardinals. So, like, the most senior cardinal, if they voted on it, it could be made into the new pope, all right? Um, so the Council of Nablus in 1120 approved the formation of the knights. And so this is 1120. The Knights Templar are formed, and King Baldwin II of Jerusalem provided him, or provided him, provided them with a headquarters in one of the wings of the royal palace on the Templar Mount. All right, so this headquarters was rumored to be built on the original site of King Solomon's temple. That is, that is a major uh, holy site in Judaism and Christianity, and one of the places where the Crusaders had shed the most blood during the invasion of the city. So this same area where the Templars had their headquarters in Jerusalem, on the, temp on the Templar Mount, on the original site of Solomon's Temple, was where they slaughtered, had a massive slaughter of the Muslim uh, occupants of the city. So that's kind of, it's kind of creepy and strange that they decided that to be their headquarters. Maybe it was done on purpose. Maybe it wasn't. No one really knows. The original name of the order was the Poor Knights of Christ and the Temple of Solomon. This was often shortened to simply Templar Knight or the Templars. All right. 
So the original name was the Poor Knights of Christ and the Temple of Solomon. So remember, these, these knights were monks. They were supposed to be like live a, a life of poverty, of service, of humility, of honor. So they didn't they weren't rich in the beginning. They were they were formed with this poverty, um, this this serve um, servitude right T type culture. That this this attitude of servitude and poverty, right, and in and righteousness that kind of uh, highlighted a lot of the early monasteries. And that's a whole new podcast, but we'll go into that maybe some other time. But so they were poor. They were supposed to be poor, but they really weren't. You'll see later. Uh, in the beginning, there were only nine members. But one of the most important things to know about these nine members is they were all related. All right. They were all freaking related, all nine members, whether by blood or by marriage, which is kind of cool. So they weren't just boys, right? They weren't just a bunch of a bunch of random knights that hooked that you know hooked up and you know dapped each other up. Yo, what up, dog? You wanna you wanna go serve with me in the Knights Templar? Yeah, I'm good. No, they were all they had bonds of blood which made them closer, or or through marriage. But no one knows. Still, you know, I have all the names of the knights, but I'm not gonna go through them because I'm gonna slaughter half their names. Um, but no one knows who the ninth member is to this day. It's a secret. It's one of the mystery that lives on. All right, a brand new order of knights. Now, these guys are brand new on the, on the scene. So the Knights Templar, in the beginning, they had very little financial backing. Hence, why they were called the Poor Knights. <laughs> um, the original emblem, which I posted on my Instagram, if you guys want to check it out, was of two knights sharing a single horse. So this was like their original emblem, and this kind of emphasized their kind of like, hey, we're poor, we don't want any money, we're just here to serve. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes the first episode, part one, leaving you on the edge of your daggone seat. Cliffhanger. So this, the second episode is going to be all about the nights, I promise. Straight nights. I really needed to set the, set the mood, set the historical stage. Because, like I told you guys, I'm not going to do that to y'all. I respect my craft. I respect history way too much to just leave you guys, like, just jump in it and make it a 30-minute podcast on one of the most important and influential groups in the history of the Western world. I'm not going to do that, guys. All right, so we got one more part coming up tomorrow, two nights in a row. It's going to be a longer podcast, probably like an hour, hour and a half. So stick with me, guys. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate y'all. That was a little loud. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, I'm still working on syn synchronizing music with audio. It's not as easy as it sounds. Thank you guys for joining me. This was the uh, APE Academy podcast, episode number 13, God's Warriors. Uh, part two is tomorrow. This weekend, we're going to start talking about the new world, namely Mexico, and a people named the Aztecs. So cool. People are coming at me like, Chase, you're not doing it. You're only doing Europeans. And blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm doing everyone. Just give me a chance. We'll get there, guys. All right. God bless you. Stay vigilant. Stay safe. Stay positive. Put God first and your family first, and you'll be all right. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your night and week. We'll see you tomorrow. Ape.
ape out.